Hey everybody, here on the Packaday Podcast, we're all about look good, play good, and that's why I'm super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Oakley is changing the game and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, work out, or just want to look like Aaron Jones? Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Last season, I saw Aaron Jones wearing his signature Oakley sunglasses and I knew I had to have a pair. My Oakleys fit me perfectly and I've loved Oakley style since I was a kid. There's just that extra boost of confidence I get when I'm wearing them and that's why I wear them every single day. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses that allow for an expression of your own unique personality, there's more than meets the eye. With summer just around the corner, you're going to want to upgrade your sunglasses game right now. Check out oakley.com to get yourself a pair. Personally, I'm a huge fan of the frog skins. Did you know that Oakley even offers prism lens technology? What the hell is that, you ask? It's a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? I know you do, so head over to oakley.com and uh, do your own research. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglasses brands in my life, and I can assure you, Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head over to oakley.com for more information today. episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. You can get all of your Pack-A-Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack-A-Day Podcast. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can always check us out on CheeseheadTV.com. I am Maggie Loney, and I'm joined by one of my co-hosts this week, Andrew Mertig. We are back for another Friday edition of the podcast. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm great. Even better that Kyle's not here. It's fantastic. <laughs> we're we're going to have a stretch run of no Kyle. So um, in all seriousness, big shout out to him. And to keep my streak alive of promoting other podcasts in our intro, I just want to say on my, my drive home today, I was I was finishing up the Tom Gracia episode of Pax, <laughs> which she said, and it was excellent. So if you're not uh, subscribed to Pax, which she said, uh, go ahead and do that and, and listen to that Tom Grassi episode. That was, that was really great stuff by you and Perry and Tom. Hey, thanks so much. Yeah, if you don't follow Tom, I don't really know how you can listen to Packaday and not follow Tom Grassi, but if I you're don't. not familiar. Oh, really? Okay. I, uh, I'll leave it up to the, the <laughs> listeners to decide if I'm serious or not. Well, if you are not a follower of Tom Grassi, make sure you check out his stuff specifically in the month of June, as he'll be doing a fundraiser for St. Jude the entire month, traveling to all 30 NFL stadiums. It's just a really cool project he's doing, and he's got some actual buy-in from the NFL to help him out with some of this. So really, really cool stuff that he's working on. Kudos to him, and I hope that we raise a ton of money for a really, really good cause. But Andrew, we normally start the show and say things like, well, there was no news today because it's the off season, but we actually did get like a smidge of Packers news, if you want to call it Packers news. Um, the preseason schedule is finalized finally, so the Packers will open the preseason in Cincinnati on Friday, August 11th at 6 p.m. Central against the Bengals. Then in week two, they're home at Lambeau hosting the Patriots on Saturday, August 19th at 7 p.m. 
And finally, they'll close out the preseason staying home against the Seahawks on Saturday, August 26th with a noon kickoff. So if you can't get to Lambeau during the regular season, the preseason, at least to me, is always like a really fun and expensive way to get tickets and enjoy the Lambeau field atmosphere. And if you have younger kiddos, it's also a really fun way to get them to, you know, the game environment without paying $300 to take your kids to a game that you might have to leave earlier. They might not enjoy. So before we get to the actual topic of the show today, any quick thoughts on the preseason schedule, preseason games in general, things you like, dislike? Yeah, besides, you know, last week we had the the schedule breakdown episode and you had mentioned the Patriots preseason game and kind of the fun of that week with the inter-squad scrimmages. That definitely sticks out. I always watch the preseason schedule to see what days the Packers are playing because obviously with selfish interest, if the Packers have Thursday night preseason games, that means staying up a little bit later for Kyle and yourself <laughs> and a little late for me. Um, and and so that's interesting. But is it just me or is it very bizarre to have a noon kickoff for a preseason game? Yeah, noon Saturday feels new. I Maybe it's not, but it, it felt weird. I cannot remember that being the case. I remember lots and lots of evening games, and there is a smidge of dangerousness of a late August heat wave in Green Bay in a very hot noon game. Um, probably unlikely, but, you know, that that's interesting. I, I kind of like that. Maybe it's a way for them to be able to, to practice, um, you know, getting the the stadium ready for noon kickoffs maybe it's something with tv i don't know but but that's that's really interesting yeah that's a good point i mean i didn't think about that and i mean i know that i i have family friends that want to get to that patriots game but the 7 p.m central kickoff is rough it's like going to a sunday night football game during the regular season so the noon kickoff is nice like you said if you're bringing family if you've got got little ones coming but yeah, I was at that like record hottest game against the Bengals a couple seasons ago. I think it was like 2018, and that wow. was miserable. Which it's it's hard to complain about Lambo Heat, but that one was rough. So hopefully this uh, this noon kickoff's a little a little nicer. Yeah, I was actually at that game as well, but we were in a shaded part of the stadium, so uh, saved ourselves a little bit. But yeah, that Wisconsin weather is is always really interesting. I remember family night two years ago um, and trying to go and it was a monsoon and then they ended up canceling <laughs> because of thunder. So, uh, you know, the unpredictability uh, is, is always interesting, but yeah, kind of a cool preseason schedule. And, you know, obviously the Packers have a lot of very young players, especially in offense. So um, interesting to see how they'll get tested out with, with those three games. And I think, you know, one kind of final thought here, too, is these are three, like, really fun preseason opponents. Um, a couple of years ago, I know the Packers played the Chiefs, and I went up to that preseason game. And obviously, it's not like Patrick Mahomes was playing, but it's really fun to see, like, good rosters. I always like to go to preseason games where there's going to be, like, future Hall of Famers there, even if those players aren't playing, like, I remember, you know, getting to see J.J. Watt, how big of a deal that was for a lot of Packer fans when he came up with the Texans a couple of years ago. So some really good games on the slate um, and some teams that might be kind of fun, like just this season. The Bengals are always contenders in the AFC. The Seahawks were a playoff team last year. The Patriots, you can never count them out with Bill Belichick. So actually three really interesting games. You know, it's not like they're playing 
the bottom of most of their division. So, yeah, and I think the team with the most to prove, um, you know, from a young starter standpoint and and depth is the Patriots. And and that middle game has kind of become what the week three preseason game used to be, where you're probably going to play your players the longest in that game. And so I think that ends up being a, a really good matchup for the Packers. And obviously those intra-squad scrimmages should be pretty fun. Um, so we wanted to talk about something a little bit different tonight. We know the Packers draft class has been analyzed pick by pick the last two weeks by the entire team at Pack-A-Day and also Andy doing the YouTube show. So you are very familiar with the Packers draft class by this point. So we wanted to shift gears a little bit and reflect on the draft classes of the Packers competition throughout the NFC North. Yeah, so we'll start here with the Chicago Bears. Um, They made a number of picks in this draft. They had a large draft class in round one. They took Darnell Wright, the offensive tackle from Tennessee, in round two. They had two picks. They took Gervin Dexter, the defensive tackle from Florida, and Tyreek Stevenson, the corner out of Miami. Round three, they took Zach Pickens, the defensive tackle out of South Carolina. Round four, they had two picks, Rashawn Johnson, the running back out of Texas, and Tyler Scott, the wide receiver from Cincinnati. Round five, they had Noah Sewell, the linebacker, and Terrell Smith, the corner out of Minnesota. And then in round seven, they had two picks again. They took Travis Bell, defensive tackle, about Kennesaw State. I don't know how to – I'm sorry, I'm not from Georgia. Kennesaw State, there we go. And then round seven, Kendall Williamson, uh, the safety out of Stanford. So what are some of your overall thoughts yeah, so my my overall reaction to this class is, you know, it's it's interesting to see the Bears just really focused on the trenches. Um, I think we had advocated a lot for them to get Justin Fields more help on that offense. And obviously their trade down with the Panthers reshaped this team. And the addition of DJ Moore should definitely be factored into this draft class cumulatively. Um, however, I do think at 10, Darnell Wright is a risky pick, especially with both Broderick Jones and Peter Skaronsky still on the board. I can see what they're thinking, um, and I think Wright probably has the highest, highest ceiling of those players, but also comes with the most risk. I, I think the guys who shoot up draft boards that quickly, kind of late in the process, often concern me. And there was some stiffness in right that would concern me a little bit when it comes to dealing with speed rushers. We will see uh, how that turns out. He could end up being fantastic, of course. But I just thought that there was a little bit more variance in that pick than what I would necessarily be comfortable with, even though I did really like Wright as a prospect. Kind of the same thing with Dexter. I think he was a really big underachiever at Florida. And while he has all of the tools you would ever want out of a defensive lineman, whether or not you can get that out of him at the next level is a bit of a question mark. And so you you kind of go down. I think the Bears did really well in the middle of this draft. I think, you know, Actually, you could take this middle of the draft and probably go back to Twitter like two months ago and compare it to what people were posting as their mock drafts for whatever team. (laughs) Doesn't matter. Packers, Bears, 49ers, Rams. It doesn't matter. Uh, This is what the middle of the draft looks like for a lot of those mock drafts. Guys like Zach Pickens, Roshan Johnson, Tyler Scott, Noel Sewell. Um, that, That is a really interesting stretch. 
And we're going to mention our favorite player in each class. And for me, it is the aforementioned Noah Sewell. I think getting him in the fifth round, the linebacker out of Oregon, is really interesting. This is a guy who was talked about as a potential first-round pick entering the college football season uh, back in you know August, September. He definitely didn't play up to that. He had some things that I think are concerning. Um, it will be interesting also because there are Two times a season, he's going to get to go up against his brother, Penny Sewell, uh, in Detroit. But I, I think Sewell is the kind of like toolsy prospect who gets to sit behind TJ Edwards and Tremaine Edmonds, who the Bears spent a ton of money on, and learn for you know two, three seasons, and then potentially be something there, um, or maybe somebody that can that can plug and play. So that, that's a, a fun selection there for the Bears. Yeah, it feels like every year, you know, somebody in the NFC North does something really well. They just have a really strong class. And to me, it feels like, you know, maybe this is the Chicago class this year. And I thought I thought it was a really strong draft for them, filled in all of their areas of weakness, really. You know, the additions of Dexter and Pickens on the defensive line immediately bring depth to a room that was completely depleted, kind of restocked and retooled there. Darnell Wright, I thought, made a lot of sense in the first round for the Bears to pass on a franchise tackle. I know you mentioned some of the other names on the board, but there's clearly something they loved about him to take him that high. I know that there were a lot of Bears fans on Twitter that really wanted Jalen Carter, and I understand that because he was kind of that marriage of possibly, you could argue, one of the best players available and at a position of need. Um, but then, of course, they traded instead and, and took right. So I think that, you know, he could be a mainstay for Justin Fields for a decade at either spot. So Tyler Scott, I actually really like. I think he could be fun in a Chicago offense with more Mooney and Claypool. But I have to say my favorite pick, I think, from this class Thought it would be Pickens, right? Because I, I talked about him on one of our Pack-A-Day shows as being a, a draft crush of mine. But I'm going Rashawn Johnson. You know, he's such a steal in the fourth round. And I think he could come in and push to start right away. It's kind of easy to forget, like, how talented he is because he shared a backfield with Bajan Robinson. But he's also a really good athlete, solid in pass pro, reliable as a pass catcher. And his body doesn't have a ton of wear and tear since he wasn't the featured back at Texas. So I think Bears fans should be really excited about that one because he's a good one. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Hey everybody, here on the Packaday Podcast, we're all about look good, play good, and that's why I'm super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Oakley is changing the game and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, work out, or just want to look like Aaron Jones? Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Last season, I saw Aaron Jones wearing his signature Oakley sunglasses and I knew I had to have a pair. My Oakleys fit me perfectly and I've loved Oakley style since I was a kid. There's just that extra boost of confidence I get when I'm wearing them and that's why I wear them every single day. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses that allow for an expression of your own unique personality, there's more than meets the eye. With summer just around the corner, you're going to want to upgrade your sunglasses game right now. Check out oakley.com to get yourself a pair. Personally, I'm a huge fan of the frog skins. Did you know that Oakley even offers prism lens technology? What the hell is that, you ask? It's a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? I know you do, so head over to oakley.com and uh, do your own research. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglasses brands in my life, and I can assure you, Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head over to oakley.com for more information today. Yeah, and now we're going to transition over to the Detroit Lions, uh, who had six picks in the first two days of the draft, and then just two on day three. Really bizarre uh, draft order for them. Uh, they did originally start with pick six. They traded down to pick 12, uh, and that is where they selected running back Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama. They had a, a pick just, just six selections later uh, at 18, and that was linebacker Jack Campbell out of Iowa. They stayed with Iowa for their first pick in the second round and got tight end Sam Laporta. Uh, their second second round pick, they ended up with defensive back Brian Branch out of Alabama. In the third round, they take quarterback Hendon Hooker the, uh, out of Tennessee. And then their second third round pick, uh, they ended up with defensive tackle Broderick Martin out of Western Kentucky, who and this is the very first time I've ever heard of Broderick Martin. Uh, and then in the fifth round, they take Colsby Sorsdahl, the offensive tackle from William & Mary, and then in the seventh round, they ended up with wide receiver Antoine Green out of North Carolina. So what did you think of this draft class, Maggie? Yeah, I know that this draft, like, if you took the reactions from Twitter, it was kind of a head-scratcher for the Lions. But I think that it's largely just because of the order that these players were taken. If, you know, Brian Branch was the pick at 12 and Gibbs was a round two selection, I'm not sure that anybody bats an eye. Like, maybe you're talking a little bit of a reach for Branch. But I think the order of operations here is kind of why Lions fans were... Well, I know Lions fans were actually really excited, but why the rest of the NFL was maybe a little bit befuddled by some of these picks. So I thought the Gibbs pick was a little bit weird given, you know, what the Lions had just invested to get David Montgomery. Uh, But we know that this league now you kind of almost need two featured backs. So I'm not really mad at that pick for them. I think this draft was nice as far as like depth is concerned for a team that didn't have too many glaring holes, um, which is kind of weird to talk about with the Lions roster. Um, but I think you could argue that Campbell and Laporta are maybe the only players that could come in and start right away. Although I'm sure Gibbs is going to see a ton of snaps, and I think they'll they'll scheme up some stuff for Branch on defense, and he should see a primary role early. But favorite pick for me, I think, has to be Sam Laporta. I mean, you have an elite tight end prospect, and he's going to make that offense more dynamic. Defenses already have to account for Amon Ross St. Brown. And now you've got Laporta as well as a true middle of the field threat. So I know it's kind of weird that the Lions traded away a first round tight end in Hawkinson and then drafted a tight end in the second round. But Campbell clearly feels like Hawkinson wasn't their guy. So they're taking a swing now at Laporta. And I like that pick a lot. Yeah, it, this 
I won't say I dislike the draft class because I think the the players make a lot of sense in in this roster and it's really interesting. But this is a team that went through a rebuild and now they're they're selecting players that are not necessarily at premium positions, and that can be a very dangerous game to play. Um, the Chiefs just won the Super Bowl, so criticizing them makes no sense whatsoever. But they decided, hey, we we're an awesome team. We can just like pick toys, and we're gonna select Clyde Edwards-Alaire at the end of the first round. And Clyde Edwards-Alaire, in my opinion, did not belong in the first round conversation. I thought they could have gotten him later. Also, Jonathan Taylor on the board at the time they picked, but that that's a different story. And I think when teams start to say. We are so good that we can start to use our premium draft capital on non-premium positions. Sometimes it can be dangerous. And I talked last week that the Detroit Lions could be on this huge upward trajectory. Or there have been instances in NFL history where we've seen these really young upstart teams kind of start to crumble a little bit and fall back down to earth. And who knows? But... The the Lions had four picks in the first 45 selections of this draft, and they spent them on a running back, a linebacker, a tight end, and a slot cornerback. Now, <laughs> I, I don't know that you could choose less premium positions in the first two rounds, um, and that doesn't mean that they're going to be bad picks. But then also kind of bouncing back, I, I think Jameer Gibbs was getting all sorts of draft buzz leading up to the draft, and people thought he was going to be a first-round pick. And it, 12 overall was a bit of a surprise. But let's break that down even further. The Lions moved from pick six to pick 12 from the Cardinals, right? The Cardinals moved way down, and then they traded back up. Who was on the board at pick six, right, at running back? B. John Robinson. <laughs> So they could have had generational B. John Robinson. Instead, they choose to trade down, and they end up with Jameer Gibbs. Also, to be fair to them, they they got the pick from the Cardinals in the second round. They got them Sam Laporta, and the pick in the third round, they got them Broderick Martin. So if Laporta ends up being a, a you know solid to good starter and Jameer Gibbs ends up being a really nice back, maybe you don't regret that. But it's like if you're going to draft a running back, it, it's interesting to me that you know you could have potentially had the guy that we all sort of think is uh, you know, going to be a megastar, and and they they chose to go with Jameer Gibbs. So interesting draft class is definitely one way to put it. Um, my favorite pick is going to be a weird one, and you know I I didn't like Hendon Hooker that much. I I in fact I had a fifth round grade on him, so them taking the third should not be my favorite pick. But I do think for a team that is in the situation that the Lions are, where you're kind of playing with house money at the quarterback position, J- Jerry Goff is coming off of a really good season where he made you think maybe he can be that, like, between 10 and 15 starting ca- caliber quarterback in the NFL. And so that's good enough to to get by with the roster and the, and the talent that's around him right now. And Hooker, while he is a very old prospect and has lots to work on, actually gets the opportunity to rehab his knee, come in, get some rest 
reps, but with very little pressure on him and potentially develop. And worst case, you have a backup who probably could come in and be athletic enough to run around and, and gain some yards, even if he doesn't develop the the next sort of step in his, uh, you know, what he's going to need to do to be a really good NFL quarterback. And that is to read progressions and take snaps under center and not have all of these easy throws in a spread offense. Um, he could come in and, and be a really good backup. And I think in the third round, that's what you're looking for. Um, and so I, I did I did like that, given the fit on this team. And then in addition, sort of the upside that is there with a guy like Hendon Hooker. Yeah, it was definitely a, a low-risk, high-reward kind of selection to have him with their abundance of extra draft capital. So that's segue now to the Minnesota Vikings, obviously the last team in the NFC North. We have round one, pick number 23. They took Jordan Addison, the wide receiver out of USC. Uh, then they didn't have another pick until round three, number 102 from the 49ers. They took Makai Blackman, the corner, also out of USC. Then in round four, they had Jay Ward, the safety out of LSU. Round five, they took Jacqueline Roy, the defensive tackle from LSU. Um, really funny that they're doubling up on both schools so far. <laughs> round five, Jaron Hall, the quarterback out of BYU. And round seven, not from BYU, uh, Dwayne McBride, the running back from UAB. Yeah, so we're used to the Minnesota Vikings having like 12, 13, 15 picks in in their draft classes. So this is obviously a big change. Uh, some of that was the aforementioned TJ Hawkinson trade. Uh, so the Vikings losing some draft capital there. Um, but on a team that is going through a lot of growing pains from a salary cap standpoint and, and really moving on from some of their older players, having an influx of young talent at this point probably would be really helpful. Overall, I think that, you know, despite it being a small draft class, I think it's pretty solid. I, I think you, you can see some upside um, with some, some defensive talent that they definitely need. Makai Blackman and Jay Ward in the secondary, Jacqueline Roy up front. I think those, those are players that you could expect to be at least contributors to this team early on. And then, you know, Jordan Adders, Jordan Addison will be the, the focal point on, in trying to replace Adam Thielen. But if I had to pick a favorite player, um, I hate to go back-to-back -back quarterbacks here, but, you know, I'm going to say Jaron Hall out of BYU in the fifth round. And here's why. He could be not good at all. And that's fine. Again, we're talking about an older prospect, but just like Hendon Hooker, all the tools in the world. And if you're going to give me that in the fifth round, I'm going to take it all day long. In fact, this is kind of where I wish the Packers would have gone with their backup quarterback is Jaron Hall. And I think the upside is phenomenal, although the floor is very low. Like this is a guy... Fifth-round quarterbacks in the NFL typically are not expected to make it. I think the the landscape is changing, and now the roster rules are changing, so more teams are going to have three, maybe four quarterbacks. So these guys will probably stick on rosters. Whether or not he ever turns into like a quote-unquote good backup or even a starter, I don't know. But, but the possibility is there. And I think if you're going to roll the dice, roll the dice on somebody with like crazy traits like Jaron Hall. Yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of that makes sense. But to me, the overall reaction I had from this class was just like, meh. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> it just felt it just felt kind of bland. It felt kind of blah. 
is the idea of Jordan Addison opposite Justin Jefferson a little fear-inducing? Sure, you know, that could be a scary tandem if that pans out. If Jordan Addison is a guy, um, he has all the potential in the world to be really, really good opposite Justin Jefferson. Uh, But the Vikings only had six picks to work with, and outside of Addison, there aren't really any immediate impact players here. It's mostly depth pieces that could develop into starters, but nothing that really jumps off the page to somebody that's going to come in and, you know, fight for that starting spot in the roster. So to segue, I guess, to one of the depth pieces that I think could become a starter that I really liked, it was the the Jay Ward pick in the fourth round. He's tall, he's long, maybe a little undersized from a physicality standpoint to play safety. Our lads has him as a nickel. I know the Vikings talked about how he did that a ton in college, and they plan to do that as well with him at the next level. Um, but he's long, he's rangy, 6'1", should be able to hang with bigger receivers and tight ends in the middle of the field. Led the SEC uh, defensive backs in pressures in 2022 and had six picks in his collegiate career. So I think he's a nice day three find for a pretty depleted Viking secondary. Yeah, absolutely. They have a lot to replace there. And it's sort of been a area that they've been trying to figure out for a very long time. And so we'll see if if those two players can contribute in any way. And I think this this activity ends up being a really nice transition into what you and I are going to be doing over the next several weeks, uh, stretching into months, perhaps. Um, and that is taking a look at the the Packers opponents for the 2023 season. And the draft class is a little part of that, but then we start to get into sort of a balance sheet who, who left via free agency, who is coming in via free agency and the draft. And then also what kind of, or, you know, what players do we expect to grow within their roles and, and make strides to, to change? Because I think when you really sit down and look at it, it is very interesting how sort of leveled out the NFC North is. Mm-hmm. So we'll explore that uh, in the coming weeks for sure. Uh, but that is all the time that we have for today. This has been the Fact Day Podcast. You find Maggie at Maggie J. Loney. And you find me at Andrew Mertig. Please subscribe and consider giving us a five-star rating. If you like what you're doing, you can catch Maggie and myself every Friday. And next week we'll be back with more off-season coverage. Thanks for listening. And as always, remember. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. 
And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.